We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast 2021 Player Reviews. I'm Josh Nelson. In the upcoming months, we'll be selecting a player or position group to recap their 2021 season discussing if said player or players met or exceeded expectations and what does their near future outlook appear to be with the 2022 Chicago White Sox. After a season hampered by COVID, Yohan Makata was seeking to rebound from his offensive production in 2021. A disappointing slash line, a 225 batting average, a 320 on base percentage, and slugging just 385 with an OPS plus a 94 meant that Mikado was a below average offensive player in 2020. Entering his fifth season with the Chicago White Sox, it had been a bit of a seesaw tenure for Mikado on the South Side. An amazing 2019 season was sandwiched between two mediocre campaigns in 2018 and 2020. Would 2021 be a big bounce back year for the White Sox third baseman? Mankata had a good opening day with a two for three outing that included a double and a walk, but went 0 for 11 in the remaining three games against the Angels. And one of those included the Platinum Sombrero striking out five times in a game. When the White Sox arrived for their home opener, Mankata was off to a rough start after six games, hitting 182 with a 357 on base percentage and again slugging just 227. Mankata hit his first home run of the season, though, in that home opener against Kansas City on April 8th, which was a 6 0 victory for the White Sox. He wouldn't hit his second home run of the season until April 23rd, which was also at home against the Texas Rangers. That was also Mikata's first three-hit game of the season, and Mikata's slash line was at a 234 batting average, on-base percentage at 342, and slugging 359. The on-base percentage was decent, but the batting average and power were off to a slow start again. 
Things picked up for Mikata in that series against Texas and continued against Detroit during the homestand. Mikata ended April with a 274 batting average, a 380 on base percentage, and slugged 417. The batting average and on base percentage were terrific, and the sentiment was as soon as the weather heated up, so would Mikata's power numbers. In May, Makata had his best month as he hit 313 for the month with an incredible 455 on base percentage, and he smacked nine doubles, but he only had one home run. And then Makata only hit one home run in the month of June, while his month slash line dropped to 222, 345, and slugged 292. At the All Star break, Yoan Makata had just five home runs. His slash line was a bit uneven. The batting average was 272. That's pretty good. A 401 on base percentage. That's awesome. But the slugging percentage, 390. That's not great. Maybe COVID was still impacting Mankata's ability to generate power, but he was still maintaining the ability to consistently reach on base. At least he had that going for him. Maybe things would pick up in the second half. On the home run front... They did a little. Mankata hit nine home runs in the second half of the season, but after having a 55 walk to 84 strikeout ratio in 78 games during the first half, that ratio got worse in the second half for Mankata as he walked just 29 times, but striking out 73 times in 66 games. His second half slash line was a 254 batting average, a 344 on base percentage, but he slugged better. He was at 435. That was an OPS of 779 for those not looking to do math. Breaking down Mikata's offensive splits further, it was interesting how big of a difference in offensive production for Mikata based on game results. Mikata played 144 games for the White Sox in 2021, and the White Sox won 84 and 60 with Mikata in the lineup. That's a 583 win percentage or a 94-win pace with Mikata in the lineup. When the White Sox won, Mikata hit 13 home runs and had an awesome slash line. He hit 285 with a 398 on base percentage, and he slugged 476. That's more like it. In the White Sox losses, Mikata hit just one home run for the season with a measly 15 RBIs and a putrid slash line of 232, 340, and 318. To compare, Tim Anderson in White Sox losses only had one home run as well, and he only had four RBIs, and he batted 240, 279, and 319. Jose Abreu in White Sox losses hit only eight home runs with 24 RBIs, and he hit 222, 287, and 360. So Mikata wasn't alone with the feast or famine within the White Sox offense. Mankata had seven three-hit games in 2021, with his last being on October 2nd, in which he provided the Hororics with a go-ahead home run in the eighth inning in front of a sellout home crowd, powering the White Sox to a 5-4 victory. His final regular season numbers, a 263 batting average, a 375 on base percentage, slugged 412 with 14 home runs and 61 RBIs. He had an OPS plus of 117, meaning that Mikata was 17% better than league average. His longest hitting streak for the season was 19 games, and his longest on-base streak was 28 games. 
That's good, especially the on-base percentage. But a player with the exit velocity numbers like Mankata, who had an average exit velocity of 90 miles per hour when he made contact, the lack of power is puzzling. Mankata had a 26-game streak during 2021 where he didn't hit a home run. For the other parts of his game, Mankata was good. Defensively, after posting a negative two defensive runs saved 2020 season, Mikata had a plus three defensive run saved campaign in 2021. Using Fangrass's defensive metric to grade fielders using multiple metrics, Mikata finished second for qualified third baseman based on innings played behind Oakland's Matt Chapman. There's no question about Mikata's defensive ability at the hot corner. In the postseason, Mikata went 4-for-16 with two runs scored and one walk in the ALDS loss to Houston. Of course, none of Mikata's four hits went for extra bases, but that performance was still better than him going 1-for-13 against Oakland in the 2020 postseason. Here's where it gets a bit confounding when analyzing Yohan Mikata. According to Baseball Reference, Mikata had a four-war season, which is very good, Fangraphs gave Mikata a four and a half war season. That was third best in Major League Baseball for qualified third baseman behind Jose Ramirez and Rafael Devers. Just based off war, Mikata is an elite third baseman. But Mikata doesn't do what the other seven four plus war third basemen did in 2021. And that's it for power. 19 third basemen played qualified innings for the batting title in 2021 in Major League Baseball, and Mikata ranked 18th in isolated power and home runs hit, and 16th in slugging. But his on-base percentage ability helped him net a 122 weighted runs created plus, which was the same for San Diego's Manny Machado. The end result of several advanced metrics meet what the expectations were when the White Sox acquired Yohan Mikata from Boston in the Chris Sale trade. It's the shape of that production which has befuddled many White Sox fans who argue on social media just how good Yohan Mikata is. A better question, as we look forward to in 2022 and Mikata's age 27 season, do we know what kind of player Yohan Makata is after five seasons in a White Sox uniform? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Joining me now to continue the discussion of Yohan Makata and his 2021 season is an editor of SoxMachine.com and frequent debater with those on Twitter about Yohan Makata. It's Patrick Nolan, but in these parts, we know him as P. Knowles. And hey, P. Knowles, thanks for joining me and helping review Makata's season. Absolutely. Excited to be back on the show. So let's start with the question that I left our listeners from the intro. After five seasons with the White Sox, do we know with any certainty what kind of player Yohan Makata is? I, I would say no, just because he's yet to put together two seasons that look anything like each other. I mean, he was kind of a sluggish on offense in his first season, a little passive, you know, kind of aired more on the side of plate discipline, drawing walks rather than attacking pitches. Uh, and then in 2019, it, it looked like he had a star turn where he started to get more aggressive early in the count, started punishing fastballs. And then, you know, there was a couple of there was a couple of signs that maybe weren't great there. The the BABIP was really high up by 400, and uh, obviously there was a juiced ball, so maybe you know the ball was flying out over the fence a little more than uh, um, that it would have otherwise. But then, you know, he he hasn't really had a, a follow up act similar to that in 2020. We know his season was hampered for, with COVID, and I, I'd say his production this season, while strong, was was a little bit surprising in that it didn't look like he wasn't able to punish the ball. Like when he got a hold of it, it, it went pretty far. It's just that the power output wasn't quite what it was uh, back in 2019. So you, we, there's been basically four seasons with the team where he hasn't looked like uh, none of them have looked like the other. And I think that the jury's still out what he's going to be. How does that impact you when you're analyzing Yoan Mikata? Because for me, I love the way that you answered the question. No, we don't know after five seasons what type of player Yoan Makata is. It, it, that's very unsatisfactory for many White Sox fans, but that is the truth. We we still don't know. I, I don't even know if Yoan Makata knows. I'm pretty sure the Chicago White Sox don't know what they still have on hand. What they did have from Yoan Makata in 2021, as I mentioned in the intro, they got a guy who was doing the best job he could possibly getting on base, which if you're batting in front of Jose Abreu is always a great thing. And defensively, he's really solid at third base. Nobody knows exactly what happened on the power front. So what do you make of it, P. Knowles, on the lack of power from Mankata in 2021? Yeah, you know, I think that uh, a lot has been made about the uh, the ground ball e epidemic on the south side, but Mankata really didn't seem like he was much of a victim of that. Uh, he was at 43.8% ground balls for the season. Um, so not a, not a dramatic increase over where he's been over the course of the last couple. Um, wh where I do notice a little bit of divergence in the batted ball rates is that the, uh, the line drives were actually way up this season but the fly balls were, were way down. So it could be a mat matter of swing plane in situations where maybe he's uh, when he hits the ball square, the launch angle might be a little bit lower. So he's winding up with more, uh, more singles and maybe some more doubles uh, and, and not balls that have as much of a chance to go over the fence. That's, that's maybe um, if it's not the juiced ball, that's maybe the one thing I could offer, but to behind the, the reduced slugging this season. So I want to talk about a red flag when I look at Yohan Mikata, especially on baseball savant. And that is the fastball, especially the four-seamer when he's batting left-handed. Everybody knows that if Mikata's going to hit for power, it's probably coming from the left side of the plate because he just feels a lot more comfortable. The swing is a lot more smooth than when he's batting right-handed, which right-handed looks like he's got this type of arm bar swing. In 2021, batting left-handed, Mikata hit just 195 against four-seamers. 
and a woeful, woeful 244 slugging percentage. He did not hit a single home run batting left-handed against a four-seam fastball in 2021. And for me, P. Knowles, when scouting and analyzing all the White Sox hitters, that is a big red flag because I have to imagine opposing teams see this data and they just tell their pitchers, I don't think Makata can handle the heat. So throw him more four-seamers. And sure enough, he saw the most four-seamers he's ever seen in a season at 37% of the time. Is there anything particular that you see when watching Makata against four-seamers that gives you concern or pause or maybe be optimistic that this is something that he can fix come spring training. Yeah, I mean, it definitely when the when the velocity got up there, he uh, was not not only not hitting home runs, but there weren't very many doubles either when it uh, when the velocity started to get up above 95 miles per hour. That's actually a great observation you just made about both of the about having no home runs left-handed on the four seam. I knew he had a couple late in the season. It took him forever before he even hit one, but it looks to me like both of those home runs came in the right-handed batter's box and uh and so that's a great point you made. And one thing, I mean, I think that his production this season would have been absolutely woeful if he not only had those struggles against the four seam, but also had uh, typical sluggish performances against some, uh, some breaking pitches, but he actually did fairly well against, um, against curve balls. And, uh, uh, you know, the sinker was a pitch he was able to handle pretty well too, maybe better than he usually has. So I don't know whether there was some sort of conscious effort to maybe sit fastball a little bit less so that he could do better against these other pitches. And if it is, I don't know if that's something I would advise necessarily that he continue, <laughs> but uh, yeah. the reason I, the, the reason I would say that there's some hope is just that Moncada has been in the league four years now. And even when he was hampered by COVID, he didn't have a problem hitting four seam fastballs. He was still able to do that. So this is really, this, this issue has really been restricted to just this one season. So we know he's capable of doing it. It's just the question of whether he's going to revert to doing so going forward. Yeah, it's such a tough living, P. Knowles, to sit at the, at the plate and say, I'm looking for sliders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, uh, I doubt that, I doubt that's what he's doing. Maybe he's, maybe he was trying, maybe he adapted to, to give him some, give him some way to be able to defend those pitches better. And that's helped. Maybe it's random and maybe next season we'll be right back to the same old, to the, uh, whatever version of Johan is uh, he'll settle in as long-term, but uh, yeah, no, I know. Uh, I know what you mean. That's, that doesn't feel like a, a great way to go about it. <laughs> this does bring up because typically we know that early in the count Hitters are going to see more fastballs because pitchers want to get ahead of the hitter. They don't want to fall back, you know, 2-0 against the hitter. You can pull up any hitter in baseball reference, look at their splits based on pitch count, and it goes to the moon when hitters are ahead of the count. And it, it brings back to the conversation with Mikata that so many people bring up is, is he being too passive again? You know, you mentioned 2019, and the one thing that everybody noticed is that Mikata was far more aggressive, especially swinging earlier in the count. Is that an adjustment that Mikata needs to make in 2022 if he's looking to recapture some of that power from 2019 is be more aggressive earlier in the count? Yeah, I mean, potentially. I mean, his uh, his overall swing percentage was down this year from what it was in 2019. And I, I don't know if he was quite if he was quite as passive as he was back in 2018. But certainly, I don't think the, the same aggressiveness was there. And I don't know if that's just being uh, I don't know if the fact that just not having a, a full season of, of 
full healthy season in 2020 maybe threw him off a little bit, but it would be nice to start to look to punish those strikes earlier in the count because I think he saw in 2019 that when when pitchers are trying to use that fastball to get ahead of you, that's an opportunity to pounce. And it'd be great if he was able to take more advantage of that. So um, yeah, I, th- I agree with you there. I think that could be a way to get to maybe uh, boost those numbers and start to have a profile looking more like 2019. So can I pitch you a conspiracy theory? Maybe it's not really conspiracy theory. Maybe it's just a theory. But can I pitch you a theory that I have about Mikata and the four seamers? Absolutely. I don't know if Mikata can see it. And what I mean by that, and it's really hard to visualize this on a podcast, so bear with me, listeners. We talk about the pitch tunnel in which when the ball is leaving the hand of the pitcher that starts the tunnel and pitchers are working so hard in today's game and trying to make every pitch look the same until the ball path to the plate reaches a distance where then it starts to break off. It is at that point in the pitch tunnel that the elite hitters have the amazing ability to be able to notice what type of pitch is coming at them. And that's why sometimes we see terrible swings at sliders in the dirt off the plate because for that hitter, it was fastball all the way until it just dropped out of the tunnel and they look foolish swinging at a pitch in the dirt. I wonder for Mercado is that with his vision, he's not picking up that velocity until it's traveling too deep into the tunnel And that's why he's having a tough time, especially batting left-handed and getting the barrel, barrel, the bat out in front of the zone, or, or I should say out in front of the plate and being able to get those extra base hits that that's a theory that I've been bouncing around my head. And we saw this past year that Ronaldo Lopez, thanks to LASIK suddenly can pitch a lot better. I wonder if it's a vision thing for you on Mikata that he's not picking up velocity let's say as well as someone like Yasmani Grandal or Jose Abreu, which you don't want to throw four seamers at those guys because they'll make you pay. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it would make sense if it was something along those lines, just because I mean, he's a 26 year old guy. It's not like he's suddenly he's this aging player who suddenly right. can't catch up to these high speeds, right? right? Like he's, he's still very young, you know, basically in his prime and you wouldn't think there'd be any sort of physical limitation there. So um, something with the, with the vision could, could make sense. Um, I, I'm uh, I, I guess we'll find out what it is. Hopefully uh, you know, the best case scenario, he comes in next season, he's mashing these four seamers and, you know, we hear some great explanation like that, that uh, just kind of explains, oh yeah, I'm, I'm okay at this now. So um, yeah, I mean, I would, I would definitely buy any, uh, you know, any uh, off the beaten path explanation that might, uh, that might explain it. I, I look forward to James Fegan's article in The Athletic on how LASIK turned around Yoan Mikado's uh, career. Uh 2019 production. Do you think that's still a possibility for Yohan Makata in his career? Um, I, I don't think it's fair to expect it at this point, um, simply because he batted 315 in that season and Makata hits the ball hard. He's very fast, 
but I don't think that a BABIP over 400 is is something that we can expect from him in the future. Uh, Tim Anderson, what he's doing by trying to keep it up there, like the way he has three seasons in a row, I think Anderson is a little bit more of a unicorn than Moncada is in that case. Uh, Moncada, I certainly think he can sustain something, you know, approaching the mid 300s, but I don't think you're going to see him hit well over 300 on a regular basis. Um, But power wise, there's no reason to believe that a player with his raw strength can't just start getting the ball back over the fence the way the way it was before. I mean, I'm hoping that 2019 wasn't something on the order of a juiced ball mirage, uh, because it seems like when he does hit the ball over the fence, you know, they're they're not exactly cheapies, right? He's, right? he's getting them out by quite a bit. But we did see a fair amount of warning track fly balls from him last year, that this year, that, that kind of made me think, you know, were these home runs in 2019? So mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Now that's, you read up a good point. I, I want to ask you a philosophical question when it comes to everyone in baseball, and maybe this pertains to all sports and just life in general. You know, he was 24 years old. For that 2019 season, uh, 23-24. And you have that breakout year. And then, as you mentioned, COVID hurt him in 2020. And 2021 was a good season. It wasn't a great season offensively for Makata. But it seems like when he's entering age 27, he's still chasing what he did two years ago. And there are some players that are able to recapture that magic. You know, Buster Posey capped it to him as he retires. uh, And he found a way to recapture the magic at age 34 for the San Francisco Giants after missing all of 2020 because of COVID, still proving that he can be an elite hitter. But there are some hitters that have this fantastic season and they just can't recapture that magic. Is there any concern that you have for Yohan Makata that maybe 2019 was the peak and we're not going to see that type of offensive production again from Makata? Yeah, I think it, it's it's possible that's the best offensive season that he has, but at the same time with the, a player with his talent level and the fact that we have seen so many breakout seasons late, well into players' 20s, I, I wouldn't put it past him to be able to reach that level again. Uh, but on the plus side, uh, like we saw this season, even if the power output was a little disappointing, he still got on base a ton. He played a strong third base and he with there, there's plenty of power in this lineup. I look around the diamond. I know that they didn't hit a tremendous amount of home runs this year. And I think that that's partially because of the injuries, but I look at the future lineup for this team and I'm not, I'm not excessively worried about where the power is going to come from. And if Moncada is a guy who, yeah, you know, maybe he sits in the 15 to 20 home run range, but he gets a, he has a non-base percentage in the high three hundreds. I think that fits just fine on this team. So I I would say that it's definitely a possibility. He doesn't get back up to 2019, but as long as he can do what he did this year on a consistent basis, I'm not overly worried about it from a team perspective. So I'm going to ask you another philosophical question as content creators and those that engage in a lot of conversation in public mediums, what can we do better to educate White Sox fans that even though Mankata and we have admitted on this show and admitted many times in our writings and our social media posts, yes, Mankata can be better. This is where he has to be better in order to be great or be the best third baseman in all of Major League Baseball. However, again, he finished third in war for all third basemen in Major League Baseball. 
barely behind Rafael Devers. And yes, there is some distance between he and Jose Ramirez, but everybody knows that it's White Sox fans and how great of a player Jose Ramirez is. There's nothing there's nothing wrong finishing third to Jose Ramirez as far as war rankings. But there are so many White Sox fans that look at the lack of home runs and the lack of RBIs and say, well, he's not very good. Whereas his on-base percentage is excellent. He's still got a good batting average. And I thought he should have been a a gold glove finalist at third base this year. But again, there's a lot of really good third basemen in Major League Baseball. But he's a very good defender. So where do you think the disconnect is in our ability as content creators to get White Sox fans to understand that Yohan Mikata, even though he's not hitting for power, is still being really productive and he's still one of the better third basemen in Major League Baseball? Well, I think it's just the expectations by the put on him by the prospect rankings and his centerpiece in the Chris Sale trade that causes a lot of consternation. Mm-hmm. If Moncada was some fifth round pick that came up to the major leagues and, and did this year in and year out, uh, I don't think there would be any complaints about him. I think that people would treat it as found money. Uh, but in but the, the fact of the matter is the White Sox traded one of their greatest players ever for this guy. And I think that's what's sticking in people's minds. I think one way to frame the conversation would be to look at the performance of other former number one overall picks. Certainly there's going to be some massive winners in there that have had great careers, but then you also have guys like Jerickson Profar, you got Matt Wieters, um, and, then, and then even someone like Alex Gordon, who had a pretty strong career and Moncada has uh, sort of evolved into, at least this season, into a similar player to what Gordon was was uh, at his peak. So I, I think that there's this idea that being the number one prospect in the game is some sort of guarantee of, uh, of stardom and uh, honestly, just get getting a player who you could consider to be a, you know, a borderline all-star a four to five win player in a season is, uh, is pretty darn good. And maybe just trying to approach it from that way. And, and I bring this point up and Yasmani Grandal will have his own podcast review soon it's the same topic we'll have when we talk about Yasmani Grandal, I feel, is that these are two very polarizing players within White Sox fandom. I can't exactly place my thumb on where the sticking point is, but that's why I wanted to ask that question. Uh, Looking ahead to Mikata's career, and and let's look at the contract. He's going to make $13.8 million in 2022. He's going to make $17.8 in 2023 and in 2024 he's going to make shy of 25 million dollars with the White Sox. So eventually the White Sox are going to pay a baseball player 25 million dollars in a season. It is coming. Yohan Mercado is a four-war third baseman and from what we understand on how front offices put a dollar amount on a war, one war is about 8 million. So if he's a four-war player, he's roughly worth about 28 to $32 million. So he's still being a bit underpaid. But the shape of this four-war type of season from Yohan Makata is his 2021 season good enough moving forward with the price tag that comes along with Yohan Makata? You know, I, I think that uh, for... I- in general, I would say yes. I mean, this is somebody who, if he continues to play this way, he's going to be somebody, the way I look at it is he'll always have positive trade value 
throughout the extent of this contract. Like this is not somebody who you would have to eat some money to give up with. Like you, you would be getting a player. I don't, regardless of how good the player is, you'd be getting a player at least in return for him if you decided to trade, trade him. So for that perspective, uh, he would not be underwater. I, I could say that one way that the White Sox might get around their typical payroll crunches when we do get into 2024 2025 if some sort of other option emerges for third base at by that time maybe the white Sox might consider dealing him so that they could move their money around and, and try to build a differently shaped team uh within some within uh you know the budget constraints that they usually have but i i think that he will you know unless he starts playing significantly worse than what he's done, he's going to be worth that money all the way through, even including the uh, the 2025 option year. Well, Pinos, thank you so much for hopping on this episode and recapping Yohan Makata's 2021 season. And I can't wait to have this similar conversation with you when we review Yasmani Grandal's 2021 season. Yep, looking forward to it. <laughs> That's going to be a good one. That will do it for this 2021 Player Review Podcast Thanks for listening. And if you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Sox Machine, and you can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. For those that have been listening to the show all season, and if you haven't already signed up, think about doing so at our Patreon page. Our Patreon supporters receive exclusive content, ad-free versions of the podcast and website, and the first opportunity to receive our new Sox Machine swag items. We have monthly plans starting at just $2 a month and our annual plans save you 9%. To sign up, visit patreon.com slash Sox Machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network and your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.